This investigation revealed that Donald Trump engaged in years of illegal conduct to inflate his net worth, to deceive banks and the people of the great state of New York, claiming you have money that you do not have does not amount to the art of the deal. It's the art of the steal. Yes, it is. And maybe he'll pay a price for it finally. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA and a whole bunch of other affiliates. Coast to coast and around the globe, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. With so much show today, we don't even have time to cover all our all of our affiliates, but thank you very much for joining us today. Yes, affiliates, we love you anyway. We do. <laughs> uh, also, hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. We also love the great Marcy Wheeler of Empty Wheel, chronicler of all things criminal and corrupt by our former president, which keeps uh, her very busy these days. She will join us uh, today momentarily for insight on what is a very big day in New York and, frankly, for the nation as the first real beginning, I think, of accountability for the once mighty Donald Trump and his business empire and his family is now officially underway. Finally. And I think it's only going to get much, much worse from here. We'll see. The investigation by the Office of New York Attorney General Letitia James began officially in March of 2019 when Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's former lawyer, personal fixer and former executive at the Trump Organization testified under oath before Congress that the Trump Organization had routinely and for years inflated the values of Trump's assets in order to obtain favorable terms for loans and insurance uh, coverage and to pay lower taxes deflating the value of some assets in order to reduce those real estate taxes, all in violation of the law. Ever since, the New York AG's office has aggressively investigated whether Trump and the Trump Organization engaged in illegal activity. While we normally might not know much about such an ongoing investigation until or if it was brought to a conclusion and indictments were brought in a criminal case or a lawsuit was filed in a civil case. Well, we learned quite a bit along the way because Trump and his company and his family fought it at every step, resulting in a very long paper trail of court documentation detailing bits and pieces of uh, the AG's investigation as Trump and his company and his family would go on to lose every single one of those court battles trying to delay the inevitable. In court papers, for example, the New York Attorney General's office revealed that they had unearthed sweeping, fraudulent and unlawful conduct. In the process of James' James's investigation, her office reviewed hundreds of thousands of documents and deposed numerous witnesses, including Eric Trump, who invoked the fifth, 
more than 500 times along with his dad, who did the same thing for some reason, despite years, years of, of charging that only mobsters and criminals who are guilty bothered to invoke the fifth. What we had been able to learn before today was apparently just the tip of the iceberg of Trump and his family's years of alleged bank tax and insurance fraud. Since at least 2004, Trump and the Trump Organization prepared an annual, quote, statement of financial condition of Donald J. Trump, each of which ostensibly contained a report of Trump's net worth based in part on the value of real estate assets from L.A. to Aberdeen, Scotland. The Office of the Attorney General, or OAG's, investigation alleged through various court filings that staggering misrepresentations were made in the valuation of Trump's assets. One notable example, of course, was Trump's midtown Manhattan penthouse apartment. In 2015, Trump's financial statement reported the value of the apartment at $327 million for one apartment. That was calculated by taking the square footage of the apartment, which was listed as 30,000 square feet in the statement, and multiplying it by a fixed price per square foot. But there was a problem with that method. According to the Trump Organization documents personally signed by Trump, the actual size of the apartment it was just over 10,000 square feet, not 30,000 square feet, as Trump and the company had stated in their filings. Had, I should say, lied about in their filings. Correct, when they wanted to obtain loans and other financial benefits based on their net worth. As Alan Weisselberg, the company's chief financial officer for decades, at least until he was charged with criminal violations of tax law earlier this year, as he later testified... The lies about the size of Trump's penthouse resulted in an overstatement of, quote, give or take $200 million. Another example, according to the OAG, concerns Trump's golf course in Scotland. The Trump Organization purchased the property in 2006 for $12.6 million. But just eight years later, in 2014, in Trump's financial statement, that property was valued at more than $435 million. From $12.6 to $435 million, a return of nearly 3,500% in eight years. The OAG's uh, investigation discovered a number of other instances of alleged improper inflation of Trump's properties, including more than $100 million overstated uh, regarding Trump's Seven Springs property in Westchester County, New York, and a greater than $200 million overvaluation of residential units in Trump's Park Avenue property. He did this all the time, and not by just small numbers, big numbers. If those examples alone could be proven, Trump appears to have improperly inflated his net worth by at least a billion dollars. But on a billion dollars. But on Wednesday in New York, State Attorney General Letitia James said the fraudulent overinflation was, in fact, much higher when announcing that her office has now sued former President Donald Trump and his company, alleging business fraud involving some of their most prized assets, including properties in Manhattan and Chicago and Washington, D.C. 
The lawsuit was filed in state court in New York. It's the culmination of her three-year civil investigation. And last week, when word broke that Trump's attorneys uh, attorneys had, had unsuccessfully sought to reach an agreement with James's office, I think that was last week, news reports had suggested at the time that Trump, his organization, and one of his adult children could be named in James's civil suit. I guess that it would be Eric. Because he was sort of the most involved with the company while Trump was in the White House and had, unlike Ivanka and Don Jr., uh, he had pleaded the fifth during his deposition before James's grand jury. For some reason, Ivanka and Don Jr. did not. Well, anyway, turns out I was wrong. All three of them have been named in this suit. Don Jr., Ivanka and Eric Trump were named as defendants. Uh, as announced by James, along with two other longtime company executives, Alan Weiselberg and Jeffrey McConney. The lawsuit seeks to strike at the core of what made Trump famous, first as a real estate developer, then as a reality TV host on The Apprentice and The Celebrity Apprentice, and later as, yes, President of the United States. James announced details of the lawsuit at a news conference on Wednesday detailing how Trump, quote, falsely inflated his net worth by billions of dollars by falsifying business records, committing insurance fraud, engaging in a conspiracy to commit both state violations and what she regards as violations of not just civil law, but criminal law as well at both the state and federal level. She said she has now returned the uh, referred the matter on the uh, uh, criminal uh, part of this to the IRS and to criminal prosecutors in both the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York and to the Manhattan District Attorney. Here is Letitia James's announcement on Wednesday explaining the lawsuit and the penalties sought against Trump, his company, and his three adult children for what she described as more than 200 false financial statements that amounted not to, as she described it, the art of the deal, but the art of the steal. Following a comprehensive three-year investigation by my office, including witnesses, interviews with more than 65 witnesses, and review of millions of documents that were submitted by Mr. Trump and others, I am announcing that today we are filing a lawsuit against Donald Trump for violating the law as part of his efforts to generate profits for himself, his family, and his company. The complaint demonstrates that Donald Trump falsely inflated his net worth by billions of dollars to unjustly enrich himself and to cheat the system, thereby cheating all of us. He did this with the help of the other defendants, his children. Donald Trump Jr., Ivanka Trump, and Eric Trump, and former Trump Organization CFO Alan Weisselberg and Trump Organization controller Jeffrey McConney. Mr. Trump and the Trump Organization repeatedly and persistently manipulated the value of assets to induce banks to lend money to the Trump Organization on more favorable terms than would otherwise have been available to the company. To pay lower taxes, to satisfy continuing loan agreements, and to induce 
insurance companies to provide insurance coverage for higher limits and at lower premiums. This conduct was all in violation of executive law, section 6312, which gives the attorney general broad and special powers to go after persistent and repeated fraud and illegality. As part of demonstrating illegality under that section of law 6312, we show that they violated several state criminal laws, including falsifying business records, issuing false financial statements, insurance fraud, and engaging in a conspiracy to commit each of these state law violations. We believe the conduct alleged in this action also violates federal criminal law, including issuing false statements to financial institutions and bank fraud. And we are referring those criminal violations that we've uncovered to the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York and the Internal Revenue Service. As a result of these violations, we are asking the court to, among other things, permanently bar Mr. Trump, Donald Trump Jr., Ivanka Trump, Eric Trump, from serving as an officer or director in any corporation or similar, similar entity registered and or licensed in New York. To bar Mr. Trump and the Trump Organization from entering into any New York State commercial real estate acquisition or from applying for loans from any financial institution in New York for five years to pay for the financial benefits obtained as a result of the persistent fraudulent practices at an estimated $250 million. At the center of this, of the year-long financial scheme were the statements of financial condition that were prepared annually by and for Mr. Trump, specifically from 2011 to 2021. These statements were compiled by the Trump Organization executives and were issued as a compilation report by Mr. Trump's accounting firm. The statements are explicit that the preparation was the responsibility of Mr. Trump. Or starting in 2016, the trustees of his trust, Donald Trump Jr. and Alan Weisselberg, for the sole benefit of Mr. Donald Trump. Each statement was personally certified as accurate by Mr. Trump or by one of his trustees as part of the loan process with the intent that the information in the statement would be relied upon by banks and insurers. When asked under oath if he Mr. Trump continued to review and approve the statements after becoming president of the United States in 2017. Mr. Trump, again, invoked his Fifth Amendment privilege and refused to answer. Over the course of our investigation, we found that Mr. Trump, his children, the Trump Organization, created and used more than 200 false and misleading asset valuations on his statement of financial condition over that 10-year period. Some of the common tactics they used include representing that Mr. Trump had cash on hand that he did not have, 
ignoring critical restrictions that would significantly impact property values when setting valuations, changing the methodology used to value properties from year to year without reason or notice, and using vastly different methods to value different properties even in the same year, and including tangible items such as brand premiums, the Trump premium, when calculating an asset's value, despite the fact that they ignored the advice of outside professionals. For example, they received a series of bank-ordered appraisals for the commercial property at 40 Wall Street in New York City that calculated the value of the property at $200 million as of August 2010 and $220 million as of November 2012. Yet, in his 2011 statement, Mr. Trump listed 40 Wall Street with a value of $524 million, which increased to $530 million over the next two years, more than twice the value calculated by the professionals. Even more egregious, the $500 million plus valuation was attributed to information from the appraiser who valued the building at just over $200 million. Another deceptive strategy they employed was to use objectively false numbers to calculate property values. Take Mr. Trump's triplex. You know, the triplex apartment in Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue. Mr. Trump represented that his apartment spanned more than 30,000 square feet, which was the basis for valuing the apartment. In reality, the apartment had an area of less than 11,000 square feet, something that Mr. Trump was well aware of. And based on that inflated square footage, the value of the apartment in 2015 and 2016 was $327 million. To this date, no apartment in New York City has ever sold for close to that amount. Tripling the size of the apartment for purposes of the valuation was intentional and deliberate fraud, not an honest mistake. Mr. Trump was intimately familiar with the layout of both the building and the apartment, having personally overseen the construction of both. Despite his sworn testimony before invoking his Fifth Amendment privilege, Mr. Weisselberg conceded that using the false square footage improperly inflated the value of the apartment almost threefold. Mr. Weisselberg admitted that this amounted to an overstatement of, give or take, $200 million. Mr. Trump also routinely ignored legal restrictions on development rights and marketability on properties that would significantly decrease property values. Mr. Trump also blatantly ignored legal restrictions at Mar-a-Lago. Mar-a-Lago was valued on the false premise that it sat on unrestricted property and could be developed for residential use. However, Mr. Trump knew that Mar-a-Lago was subject to a host of onerous restrictions and limitations. 
Mr. Trump himself signed deeds sharply restricting changes to the property and donating his residential development rights in an effort to get a tax deduction and later to lower his property taxes on the property. Despite these significant restrictions, Mr. Trump valued the property based on the false premise that it was an unrestricted residential 18-acre plot of land that could be sold and used as a private home. In fact, the valuations represent that these restrictions don't even exist. The club generated annual revenues of less than $25 million and should have been valued at more than, valued at about $75 million. However, Mar-a-Lago was valued as high as $739 million. Mr. Trump used inappropriate schemes to inflate the value of his other golf clubs. He valued the clubs based on their fixed assets. In other words, the money spent to acquire and to maintain them, despite being informed by valuation professionals that this practice was inappropriate for a club operating as an ongoing business. Inflating his reported net worth was just the first part of the scheme. He then used these false statements of financial condition for his own personal gain. Mr. Trump and the Trump Organization have obtained hundreds of millions of dollars in real estate loans and insurance coverage using these statements. Mr. Trump was able to secure much more favorable loan terms by personally guaranteeing the loans based on his reported net worth as reflected on his statements of financial condition. These statements were key, integral to Mr. Trump and the Trump Organization's ability to secure loans for a number of properties, including the old post office in Washington, D.C. Mr. Trump's statements were first submitted to the federal government to demonstrate his financial status, his net worth. He then engaged with Deutsche Bank to obtain a loan to redevelop the property. Mr. Trump was able to obtain much more favorable loan terms by personally guaranteeing the loans. And as you know, in May of 22, the, Mr. Trump and the Trump Organization, they sold the post office, the old post office property, for $375 million, resulting in a $100 million net profit, which was the result of a loan he was able to obtain through the use of false and misleading statements of financial condition. We also believe that he illegally saved millions of dollars in federal tax benefits, conservation easement donations related to Seven Springs in Westchester and the Trump National Golf Club in Los Angeles. And this conduct is not the subject of this action, but we are referring it to the IRS and to the Southern District of New York. The examples I laid out just barely scratched the surface of the misconduct that we have uncovered. All told, we uncovered more than 200 examples of false and misleading asset valuations that were used on his statements. The pattern of fraud and deception that was used by Mr. Trump and the Trump Organization for their own financial benefit is astounding. Inflating the values of assets by whatever means necessary to increase Mr. Trump's purported net worth. 
And then that net worth, net worth was used to further enhance his financial standing, intentionally misrepresenting his, financial, his financials to obtain incredible economic benefit. It was a scheme that by its very nature became more profitable over time. And it is all in stark violation of the law. As I mentioned earlier, um, the relief that we are seeking specifically, we are asking the court, again, to permanently bar Mr. Trump, Donald Trump, Eric Trump, Ivanka Trump from serving as an officer or director in any corporation or similar business entity registered or licensed in New York State. We are barring Mr. Trump and his organization from entering into any New York State commercial real estate acquisition for five years. We are barring Mr. Trump and the Trump Organization from applying for any loans from any financial institution registered with the New York Department of Financial Services for five years. We are requiring Mr. Trump and the Trump Organization to, to disgorge the financial benefits obtained through the persistent fraudulent practices, an estimated a baseline at the minimum of $250 million, and to appoint an independent monitor at the Trump Organization to oversee compliance, financial reporting, valuations, and disclosures to lenders, insurers, and tax authorities for no less than five years. We are requiring the Trump Organization to prepare on an annual basis for the next five years a gap, a generally accepted accounting practices compliant audited statement of financial condition showing Mr. Trump's net worth to be distributed to all the recipients of his prior statements of financial condition to replace the current trustees of the Donald J. Trump Revocable Trust with new independent trustees or require similar independent governance if a new trust is created, and to permanently bar Alan Weisselberg and Jeffrey McConney from serving in the financial control of any New York corporation. And lastly, to cancel any certificate filed under and by virtue of the provisions of Section 130 of the General Business Law for the corporate entities named as defendants and any other entity controlled by or beneficially owned by Donald Trump, which participated in or benefited from the ongoing financial scheme. In other words, permanently prohibit any of these companies from doing business in the state of New York. I want to be clear. White-collar financial crime is not a victimless crime. When the well-connected break the law to take in more money that they are entitled to, it reduces resources to working people, to regular people, to small businesses, and to tax and all taxpayers. Everyday people cannot lie to a bank about how much money they have in order to get a favorable loan to buy a home or to send their kid to college. And if they did, the government would throw the book at them. Why should this be any different? It is a tale of two justice systems, one for everyday working people and one for the elite, the rich and the powerful. Mr. Trump and his allies may say that these penalties are too harsh or that this is part of a witch hunt. I will remind everyone that this investigation only started after Michael Cohen, the former lawyer, his former lawyer, testified before Congress and shed light on this misconduct. And the remedies are consistent with what we have sought for other businesses that committed the same 
misconduct. This investigation revealed that Donald Trump engaged in years of illegal conduct to inflate his net worth, to achieve, to deceive banks and the people of the great state of New York. Claiming you have money that you do not have does not amount to the art of the deal. It's the art of the steal. And there cannot be different rules for different people in this country or in this state. And former presidents are no different. And so today we are making good on that promise, on our commitment. Because no one, no one is above the law. Sounds like she means it. Uh, that yes. was New York Attorney General Letitia James in New York announcing the state's civil lawsuit seeking some of the harshest civil penalties possible for Donald J. Trump, his company, the Trump Organization, and his children, Eric, Don Jr., and Ivanka. Accountability? Some? Finally? Maybe? The great Marcy Wheeler of Empty Wheel joins us next to discuss that and probably just a few of Trump's other worsening woes, both civil and criminal. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the broadcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. They do indeed. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Quote, this investigation revealed that Donald Trump engaged in years of illegal conduct to inflate his net worth to deceive banks and the people of the great state of New York, said State Attorney General Letitia James at her news conference on Wednesday announcing very serious civil penalties being sought in her lawsuit against the former president, his companies, and his three grown children. To bar Trump and the Trump Organization from entering into commercial real estate acquisitions for five years, from obtaining loans from banks in New York for five years, and permanently barring Trump, and his uh, and three of his adult children from serving as an officer or director in any New York corporation or similar business entity registered and or licensed in New York state. That, according to her more than 200 page lawsuit, which details, quote, acts of fraud and misrepresentation that grossly inflated Mr. Trump's personal net worth, as reported in hundreds of financial statements by billions of dollars. 
Those false and misleading financial statements by Trump and his organization were used, quote, repeatedly and persistently to induce banks to lend money to the Trump organization on more favorable terms than would otherwise have been available to the company to satisfy continuing loan covenants and to induce insurers to provide insurance coverage for higher limits and at lower premiums. It was quite an impressive years-long racket. Quote, claiming you have money that you do not have does not amount to the art of the deal. It's the art of the steel, said James at a news conference on Wednesday after noting that while she had brought a 200-page civil lawsuit, she believes there were also criminal violations of law carried out by the group involving bank, tax, and insurance fraud, which she said she was referring to the Manhattan District Attorney's Office as well as the federal IRS and U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York adding at the close of her news conference that she was making good on her, quote, promise and commitment that no one is above the law. Well, we will see about that. Joining me now is the great Marcy Wheeler, independent accountability and national security journalist at EmptyWheel.net and contributor to, well, too many other publications to name here. Oh, Marcy Wheeler, welcome back to the broadcast. Busy day? Uh, it's been yes, it's quite a quite a busy day, <laughs> busy year, busy, busy five years. We had initially hoped to uh, to discuss the uh, DOJ's criminal case against Trump, having stolen more than a thousand pages of classified documents, storing them at Mar-a-Lago. But frankly, Tish James may have stolen much of that thunder today, at least for today, Marcy. I have I may have some a few questions for you on it if we have time. But your top line thoughts first on the civil suit brought by the. New York AG against Trump, his company, and his three grown children? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a lawsuit, so he's going to stall on that, just like he's going to stall on everything else. So it's not like he's going to collapse into a puddle tomorrow. <laughs> uh, it is going to continue along with the criminal trial, right, in, in weeks' time mm-hmm. uh, against, against Trump Organization and Westbrook. It, it's going to continue to make it a lot harder for Trump to do business at a time when, for example, his bad social media company is doing very poorly anyway. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and at a time when, as you mentioned, he's got a whole bunch of other legal problems to deal with. And that's assuming that the IRS and the Southern District of New York haven't found merit in the case that, that, that Tish James put mm-hmm. together. I mean, one thing that it's important for people to remember is that the, the New York City DA today was sort of like it's an ongoing investigation. Maybe he'll do something with it. But obviously, if it's going to be a federal tax case, it's a bit different to make the case. And so that referral or presumably information that they've already received from some of the stuff that James has made public Mm -hmm may already be something else that he's fighting with. So we'll see. That was, uh, yeah, because James said she believed, uh, you know, during her announcement that, that, that there was a criminal conspiracy here and that she's made referrals to the IRS, to the other uh, federal law enforcement officials in the Southern District of New York, as well as the uh, Manhattan District Attorney. Uh, what, if anything, is required by the IRS and the federal investigators in New York 
in response to such a, a referral? And uh, in other words, do they have to take some sort of action? And what would you expect them uh, to take? What what would you expect would happen next in such a case with so much evidence that seems to, uh, you know, have, have been gathered by uh, Tish James in the state civil suit? Well, so I'm not an expert on on money laundering, on tax fraud. Mm -hmm. So I can't say that I've read all 200 pages, 222 pages, and assessed the evidence. So one of the things they would be doing is saying, how good is the evidence? I mean, Mm -hmm. one of the things that she's done, in addition to to these kind of high-profile Trump, Trump increased the claim size of his penthouse by three. He increased the claim value of Mar-a-Lago by ten. Um, lots of increasing, you know, lots of multiples in the value of, of mm-hmm. his properties. Is is that she has the providers? She has Mazars, right? And they've sort of said, "Well, we weren't really doing due diligence." The accountants. She said, yeah, "There's accountants. an on yeah." yeah. There's an ongoing investigation to another one of his vendors or another one of his financial advisors. Mm -hmm. And so those, I think, are really, I mean, those, I think, are really important for the criminal side if it's going to go anywhere. And I don't know, I don't, you know, again, this is not my forte, so Mm -hmm. I can't assess that. For her purposes, uh, it's easier for her because all those those 500 times that Trump uh, invoked the fifth, Mm-hmm. He when he he attended a deposition with her. Well, those amount to proof for her in a way they wouldn't for a criminal case. And exactly, he can't. Uh, Alvin Bragg, the district attorney in New York, can't use that uh, his his you know use of the uh, uh, the Fifth Amendment can't use that against him in a criminal case. But I'm trying to figure out. You mentioned that this uh, criminal case that Alvin Bragg has brought against the Trump Organization and its chief financial officer Alan Weisselberg, who has now pleaded guilty. That starts that trial, I guess, starts next month in October. But Bragg backed off plans to bring criminal charges against Trump himself, which could land you know Donald Trump in prison if they were brought against him. Do do you have any sense? I mean, in theory, Tish James's office was already working with Alvin Bragg. Do you have any sense that this lawsuit that she brought on Wednesday would somehow help to revive Bragg's criminal case against Trump himself? You know, I don't. I don't know. That would. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, this is a New York thing, and and <laughs> it, would it take? You know, I guess the question is, why didn't he go after Trump in the first place right. when a couple of the prosecutors believed they could make the case? And and one of those issues is is that he wasn't certain that he could could make the case. The other thing that you hear rumors or you hear discussion about in New York is DAs of. Manhattan DAs of New York City don't like to make these cases because then you're going to have to start taking out all of the real estate people in New York and, and you know, mm-hmm. then it will snowball because, well, what Trump did is orders of magnitude worse than a lot of what goes on. Some of this stuff goes on, you know, uh, James, I got in trouble on Twitter because uh, James was asked, you know, how is this different from other people? And she didn't really answer the question. Mm. Um, it is different in scale, but... There's a lot of valuation games that go on in real estate generally, not even just New York, but New mm-hmm. York is New York, right? So, so, so we don't know.
I mean, we really don't know. Do do federal prosecutors have those uh, similar sort of concerns, as you understand it, in the Southern District of New York, or whether it's at the IRS? Would they have similar, you know, fears that uh, we see New York state prosecutors having, trying to, you know, leave the real estate community to their crimes? Is that something that also is a consideration with federal investigators, or do they have a whole a clean uh, uh, field of play here? Well, I mean, SDNY, right, has, during the Obama administration, SDNY kind of took a fall for a bunch of the banks that probably should have been criminally prosecuted. So, there, you know, it's, it's not just the DA in mm-hmm. New York City where people are afraid to go after the big banks. The question is how good the evidence is that, that James put together. And in the federal context, not just SDNY, so those federal prosecutors in Manhattan, but one of the properties in question was the old post office building mm-hmm. in D.C. Yeah. And so Trump was making some of these representations not to, say, Deutsche Bank, who was going to, they didn't care, mm-hmm. right? They, they were happy to continue to do business with Trump no matter what. They were making some of these representations to GSA, to the federal government, when they got that leak. And so that adds a different twist, I think, to the issue And we really don't know. I mean, I I think it's important for people to remember with this, as with all of Trump's legal exposure, this stuff takes time. And we don't know, you know, like, we don't know when the shoe is going to drop or if it is going to drop. But these things do take time. So it's not going to be like tomorrow Mm -hmm. he's going to be put in cuffs by the IRS or something. It's, you know. Well, uh, one of the things that I've taken from this, Marcy Wheeler, is that, you know, Trump and his kids tried to delay in every way that they could in New York. In this New York case, they fought every deposition, everything else for years is one of the reasons why it took uh, it started in 2019. So we're sort of on year three. One of the things that I took away from this is that he can delay. Well, he can run, but he can't hide, so to speak. Um, and, you know, beyond delay, ultimately, that doesn't end up helping him, you know, throughout this entire case, through all of these delays. He filed a bunch of court papers, which means the public learned a whole bunch about these crimes before the lawsuit had even been announced. We're seeing something similar. We have been seeing uh, something similar, for example, in the Mar-a-Lago case where, you know, we've learned a lot more about that case because of his, you know, attempts to delay than we might have otherwise known at this point. Uh, at what point does that actually help him? I, you know, everybody says, oh, that's his game. He likes to delay. Does it end up helping in any actual way beyond simply delaying the inevitable? Well, it probably helps. It probably helped with the Russian investigation is that there were still ongoing exposure in the Russian investigation mm-hmm. uh, when he was no longer president. Although Bill Barr had done such, he had spent two years sabotaging it, so mm-hmm. it was very damaged. But but the statutes of limitation for most of that would be expiring unless you could prove that there was an ongoing conspiracy. Tom Barak is. His trials started. I think they're through jury selection, so they're about to they're about to do opening arguments mm-hmm. in in the um, case of Tom Barra, right? So mm-hmm. one of Trump's biggest donors, his inauguration chair, and that one was basically put on hold from 2020 until 2021. 
uh, Merrick Garland approved the charges in July of 2021, and they superseded him this year. So there's a case where they got that one in before the statute of limitation, and there's actually ongoing conduct involving other people that may have ongoing statutes of limitation. I mean, so this is how it works. In the Mar-a-Lago case, his behavior goes right through August 8, 2022, right? So there's not any kind of tolling concerns about that because it was just weeks ago where he's Mm-hmm. He probably still has uh, classified documents lying around one of his properties. Mm-hmm. Um, and and on this tax case, the, you know, the thing about Trump is he's never going to stop cheating <laughs> right. at his taxes. And right. so, you know, the, she she alleged that the case goes right through 2021. So, again, the stalling doesn't help if you don't stop the criminal conduct. And that's what seems to be happening here. Uh, he's continuing this. And I want to I do want to get to the Mar-a-Lago case in a moment. But the uh, you know, after after it had been reported that James was preparing to sue Trump and the Trump organization. And uh, last week, I think uh, these reports came out. One of his three grown children. Were you surprised on Wednesday that the suit also named named all three of them, Eric, Don Jr. and Ivanka? And what, if any effect, is that going? to have on 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 trump himself and whether he decides to either try to settle this thing or fight it any sense of that uh, we have to say that tiffany's not included so kudos <laughs> to her for staying she's probably lived a more modest lifestyle than um than ivana's children but uh, <laughs> uh I, you know i i think that this is his this is his empire, and he's going to fight for his empire. He's going to fight for his brand. Uh-huh. I, w- I wouldn't expect him to do anything but, right? Uh, and and what do his, what especially like Don Jr., he doesn't have a skill set besides sowing dissent <laughs> on top of, like, you know, carrying out the family fraud. So, uh-huh. I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I think they'll all, they'll all hold together or fall together. Uh, except, you know, who knows? Maybe Ivanka is secretly the, uh, the, DOJ source on where he's hiding classified documents from Mar-a-Lago. We'll, well see. Well, yeah, and Don Jr. and uh, Ivanka did not invoke the fifth, unlike Eric Trump and and their dad, who did uh, invoke the fifth. Uh, last thought on New York for now. Uh, as mentioned, the criminal trial, criminal case brought by the Manhattan DA is coming up next month. This after the uh, chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, recently pleaded guilty and agreed to testify at the trial now he must testify truthfully at that trial or the i think it's five months or six months sentence that he's he's uh been promised in exchange for his guilty plea that can be changed that can be extended is there some sort of a long game? I think Andrew Weissman argued that uh, maybe Alvin Bragg has something up his sleeve. Do you expect that Weisselberg, who must testify truthfully, that that testimony might somehow change Bragg's current trajectory of not bringing criminal charges against Donald Trump himself next month? Yeah, it might. Um, so he is, uh, Weisselberg is just going to testify against Trump organization and who knows what Bragg has? Maybe he has something. Maybe he discovered that Weisselberg's existing testimony was dishonest on on some level, and he plans to spring that on him at the trial. He, I I don't know. You know, there's so many wheels spinning on the financial side right now, and one expects that they're sharing information back and forth. That 
maybe he does know something that is going to surprise Weisselberg mm. next month. Well, that would be good. That would be nice because I really still don't understand why he pulled his punches. I'm wondering if he's going to look at, oh, well, the world did not come to an end when Letitia James brought this lawsuit. So maybe I could do the same uh, on a criminal level. All right. Uh, speaking of criminal charges, potentially against Trump himself, I, I had originally wanted to talk to you today about Mar-a-Lago and the stolen documents until James's suit was announced. But to be honest, Marcy, I have not covered uh, this case all that much because, to be frank, I find it so absurd and ridiculous and stupid on so many levels after reading the DOJ's, you know, one uh, pleading after another, which I see as pretty much airtight pleadings. And then the Trump appointed judge, Eileen Cannon, her basic response is, well, oh, well, I'm I'm not persuaded, offering no particular evidence uh, or reason for not being persuaded. So for a start, my first question is, is this as stupid as it seems to me? Is Eileen Cannon that completely wrong on every single basis that she has so far ruled in this case? Or am I missing something? No, she's wrong. Uh, she's wrong, and she, I mean, if people want to read my site, that she's done a number of things. Like, I keep saying she has created a harm and then intervened to fix it. One of the ways she did that was back on August 30th, prosecutors were like, hey, we've got all of the potentially privileged documents all packaged up. Can we please give them to Trump so we can at least resolve that question? Mm -hmm. and she said no. And then every single filing she did after that, she cited that and said, well, you know, he doesn't have his potentially privileged documents. So he, she basically said, no, you can't do that. And then pointed to the fact that Trump didn't have his privileged documents as her reason to get involved. Similarly, she double counted things so that she could she could exaggerate the amount of, of personal objects included. She <laughs> well, treated that sounds familiar. documents as yeah. personal. Yeah, I mean, like, just as an example, um, she said, well, you know, there are medical and tax documents included in this, and and that's personal, so, so clearly you have you have a right to that. And those are, by definition, mm -hmm. the only reason she knows about them is because they were included in the potentially privileged staff. Mm -hmm. And so they are likely something like discussions of DOJ's intervention on the Mazar's lawsuit. Right. Mm -hmm. Or Treasury's intervention on the Mazar's uh, subpoena by Congress. Um, in other words, they're not actually about the substance of his taxes. They're about interventions that the government made to prevent Tish James, for example, mm -hmm. from investigating sooner. Mm -hmm. um, and so Cannon was inventing stuff. Um, right. You know, it's hard to tell whether she's just that corrupt or whether she has lived in a Fox bubble for so long. She believes all the myths about DOJ and FBI being mean to Trump, but um, we'll see probably in a matter of days what the 11th Circuit thinks about all this, and if they rule against the government, then I suspect the government will appeal to the Supreme Court. The The precedents on this are, are really no-brainers. They're, they're not. Good. They're, you know, so it's like, it's, it's Nixon, it's the president has the ability to classify documents, meaning, mm -hmm. you know, Joe Biden is the president, not Donald Trump, contrary right. to what Cannon may believe. And executive privilege. I mean, these are all these these precedents are all pretty laid out in stone. Yeah. 
And they all work against Christ, Trump. And so, yes, even, you know, even Clarence Thomas may let Supreme Court adjudicate this issue and may may rule against Trump if it comes to that. So we'll see. Well, yeah, good. So I'm glad to know that it wasn't just me, you know, reading these uh, these documents, these pleadings. And I mean, this is like a clear cut case. There is nothing confusing about this. And yet, you know, and I keep seeing, oh, she, you know, the DOJ sort of threw her a lifeline by saying, hey, why don't we just segregate the, uh, uh, you know, the, the classified documents. Let's work with those and the special master can work with everything else. That's fine. She's they seem to try to keep throwing her a lifeline and she was not taking it. So I and I thought I must be missing something here. It sounds like I'm not. So what, if anything, seems like this uh, special master, uh, Raymond Deary, is not actually putting up with the, the, the crap from Team Trump, even though they choose him, chose him as the special master. What, if anything, therefore, can or will happen beyond, yes, another annoying delay, as we saw in the civil case, before this actually goes back, the DOJ just picks up and continues where they were and hopefully brings an indictment. Do you expect anything else could possibly well, it, happen? It, actually, it really depends. If the 11th Circuit rules for the government, mm -hmm. particularly if they rule for the government on, on both the things they asked for a stay, the government asked for two things. One is, please let us continue to use the documents to investigate, one. Mm -hmm. And two, please let us not have to share these documents with Trump's attorneys, at least one of whom is a witness, mm -hmm. at, least a, at least a witness. Mm -hmm. And if they rule for DOJ on both of those things, I do think that it, it likely will will um will be charged i mean it's still you're you're thinking about charging a president for something that uh the area of presidential power is vast it's just the case against trump is so obvious and the and the documents he took were so so sensitive that mm -hmm. i think doj would feel the need to do it but if judge cannon has the ability for from from a variety of ways so for example if deary if the if the special if the special master says you're not going to look at any classified documents because you won't even claim to have declassified them it's not the way in which cannon set up this special master she basically gave herself broad authority to fire him yes and if she fired him and then said you know, I think it is a close call about whether these are actually classified or not. That would actually do tremendous damage to the case, not because it's true, but because uh, in the same way that Barr made up a lot of garbage about the Russian investigation, you can't charge a case if a, you know, if a judge or the attorney general is on the record saying, you know, Peter Strzok was out to get Donald Trump, even if it was false, mm. because... That's something prosecutors would have to account for. They would have to say, you know, can I charge this when, when somebody has waited? And, and that's honestly where I think Cannon may be trying to go. The question is whether she'll succeed in getting it. Well, whether she'll succeed and whether the 11th Circuit, which does have six Trump judges, like Eileen Cannon, uh, has six Trump judges on it, well, whether they will behave, I guess, as she has, as you know, ridiculously as she has. I just cannot believe 
that that would happen. It seems like there must be sanity at the 11th Circuit somehow, but I would have thought that was the case with Cannon, too. Very quickly, I may need just a yes or no from you because I'm short on time, Marcy, but there is, of course, also the ongoing January 6th and election theft-related probes by a federal grand jury. Would an indictment in the Mar-a-Lago documents case have any effect whatsoever on the January 6th related cases for Trump? Would an indictment in one case, federal case, somehow make them less inclined to bring more federal criminal charges in the other cases, as you see it? I doubt it. I really doubt it. And I suspect that at some point, going and retrieving these documents ended up retrieving documents that are of interest to January 6th investigators. And so, but I I mean, the judges in D.C., every time one of these trespassers gets sentenced, they're like, you know, it shouldn't be you here. It should be Trump. Mm-hmm. They don't say it like that. Even the mm-hmm. Republicans, though, they say it shouldn't be you here. It should be the ones who inspired you to do this. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that, there is such a demand from people who are closely involved to hold him accountable because uh, in inspiring this attack, he has ruined the lives of, you know, 2,500 people. And you can't let him go if every, you know, if, if a thousand of the other people are being prosecuted. Yeah, that's what we thought when they sent Michael Cohen to prison uh, as part of a conspiracy directed by Donald Trump, who has never been charged with a conspiracy. Anyway, I hear you. Marcy Wheeler, the uh, independent national security journalist at EmptyWheel.net. If you want to follow what's actually going on in all of these cases, EmptyWheel.net. You can also follow her on the Twitters at EmptyWheel. Marcy, I look forward to doing it again uh, soon in the future when we have more time. I'm sure there'll be, uh, you know, some really slow news days ahead. (laughs) Take care, Brad. Thanks, Marcy. Okay, uh, we got to get that. Boy, what a day. Wow, what yeah. a day. Um, so much else going on, too. It's just everything all at once. Oh, the so news much, volcano. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we haven't. We didn't even have time to talk about the fact that Russia is, you know, now beginning to conscript people to uh, for their war in, uh, in Ukraine, and people are clamoring to the airport to get out. Yeah. Oh, and of course, the U.N. General Assembly met, all that kinds too. of things there. Yes. Anyway, that's what tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow are for, right? Holy cow. Anyway, incredible day today. I suspect there will be many more such days in the days ahead, as I have been uh, advising you, even though, as Marcy has been saying, it takes time. Be patient. It's all, uh, all the walls are in fact closing in. We got to get out. My thanks again to Marcy Wheeler, to my producer today, Desi Doyen, and every day. <laughs> also, my thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download them all for free, no paywall, at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you kind enough to support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like on any of this. I'd love to hear from you. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. Please follow me there. We'll see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>